has been an awakening. Have you felt it? Light it up. Welcome to Unmistakably Star Wars, your source for a high-quality, informative, and entertaining look into the Star Wars galaxy. So strap yourself in, because here's where the fun begins. Well, greetings, my little Tauntauns, and welcome to this installment of Unmistakably Star Wars. I am your curator of content for this evening's journey, and joining me... It's it's like guys' night on the pod. Uh, <laughs> joining me is the fabulous Carl Hassler. Carl, welcome. Yes, playing cards, smoking cigars, drinking it's beer. It's true. It's doing. true. I mean, what could be better than that? <laughs> Sabak. We're playing Sabak, of course. We are. We are. We absolutely are. Yeah. Well, listen, friends, we are in the midst of this deep dive into the work of Joseph Campbell, in particular, his pivotal book, The hero with a thousand faces and you know what i should have done which i i don't know why i didn't do this before carl but yes. should probably just kind of walk through what the journey overall looks like and, and give folks an idea even though they might have heard the hero's journey uh mm-hmm. there's some actual phases and steps to it so let me just kind of go through this okay these are basically the, the chapter headings of his work and so part one the adventure of the hero and then there's chapter one which is what we're in and we'll be wrapping up tonight is the departure. There's the call to the adventure, the refusal of the call, supernatural aid. And then what we're going to really zoom in on tonight is the crossing of the first threshold. And then it rolls into chapter two, which is initiation. We'll talk about that down the road. We get into chapter three, the return. And then we, we start to really see the majority of the growth happen to the hero here, the master of the two worlds, and then the freedom to live. And then th- there's even more that goes on after that. We get into something called the, the cosmogonic cycle. Cosmo- <laughs> is, that, is that right, Carl? Am I even pronouncing that close to correct? Well, if, yeah, you're close to grabbing. I, mean, I only know because I listen audiobook instead of reading it, but it's like the cosmogonic cycle. But yeah, it's um, that would be where all the weird, you know, did you, you sent that out about um, the Star Wars show having uh, Dave and George talk about Star Wars? Right, or right. The Clone Wars. And so, yeah, I was, I was like, how does the cosmogonic going to really, you know, that's going to be a hard one to talk about. But, you know, in that question, Dave asked, like, what's your favorite episode? And, and Dave said, well, I like the ones where we kind of really went outside and really stretched and pushed the limits. Now, I don't know what he necessarily meant, but the images they showed were like the Mortis arc. Mm-hmm. And then where Yoda went on uh, this adventure where he, which would be a kind of a mini uh, that's a great four episode arc of basically right. him doing a hero's journey uh, and him going and, and, and learning what Qui-Gon learned as far as manifesting in the force. So that I think, you know, th- that sort of thing is going to be, you know, I think it's going to be difficult to do, but I think it'll be, in- it could be an interesting and fun part to do when we get there. Well, and with any luck, Carl, Dave returns our calls by the time we get to that <laughs> particular chapter and oh, we'll have him uh, address all, all of the complicated <laughs> questions that we have. Oh yeah. He's not busy. No, I mean, my mm. goodness, they're not even <laughs> filming season three of Mandalorian yet. Come on. I know. 
Well, listen, last week, you know, we, we had a great talk. We talked about this beginning of the hero's journey and it was more times than not, it involved kind of a, a departure, a parting from the mother or the mother figure. And we talked about the various mothers within star Wars and the, the tragedy that seems to attract mothers within the star Wars galaxy yes. and, and the, the leaving and cleaving that, that goes on with the hero. And then again, we're kind of wrapping up chapter one tonight. And as we get into that, we're really just taking more of a closer look at what Joseph Campbell in entitles the crossing of the first threshold. And then kind of a, a little bit of an, an underscore of that is what he refers to as the belly of the whale. So we'll, we'll get into that a little bit as well. So sit back. If you've got your copy of Joseph Campbell's <laughs> the hero with a thousand faces with you, grab your highlighter, grab your red pen, and uh, let's jump into tonight's Closer Look. This is Bonnie Peace. This is Jeffrey Brown. Hi, this is Eric Walker. This is Jason Fryer. Hi, this is Delilah S. Dawson. And you are listening to Unmistakably. 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 Unmistakably Star Wars, the podcast. This bickering is pointless. Why are you asking this of me? I am here because you are here all our resources to unravel this mystery. You must unlearn what you have learned. What did you say? Same thing I always do, talk my way out of it. I grow tired of asking this, so it'll be the last time. How simple you make it. Light and dark as if there is one without the other. So who talks first? You talk first? I talk first? All right. Well, here we go. We're continuing on with our Joseph Campbell series, getting into the latter part of chapter one, talking about the crossing of that first threshold. And Carl, I fully and readily admit when I, I read this part of the book, and then we've got a, a pretty comprehensive study guide that goes along with this. Th this are some of the things that came out to it is the, the hero enters the literal physical world that which lies outside his home village. And it, to nobody's surprise, as, as soon as I read that and put mm -hmm. it together with the chapter heading, which is, again, the crossing of the first threshold, immediately the words that come to mind are, you've taken your first step into a much larger <laughs> world. I mean, yeah. Lucas couldn't have uh, signposted it any more for us as viewers. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's, um, yeah, I mean, I appreciate some things more just from having listen to this book and, and kind of understanding some more. And as you talked about last time, it's really deep. And so I've listened to it several times still, you know, don't know really how to discuss it or, or manifest it all there, but yeah, there's lots of things that do pull out specific images of things we have seen in star Wars. And the good thing about star Wars is now it's so vast. It's not just the movies. It's also the Clone Wars and, and animated series and books. And there's so much in there. And, and a lot of, although you said one author we know hasn't read uh, or doesn't really, hasn't really studied Joseph Campbell. Right. Um, there's a lot of that stuff in there that you see. And he probably actually has a lot of that in there just from absorbing it by osmosis. But it, you know, anyway, you see a lot of these things that just jump out at you. Like, ah, I could see that in Star Wars here, here, here. So yeah, it's, that's the fun part. Well, absolutely. And even if we look at, you know, the variety of characters that we have within the Star Wars galaxy, whether it's cinema or animated or, or whatever the case may be, you know, we can see tidbits of the hero's journey, even if it's not our quote unquote 
protagonist or hero that we're necessarily focused on, but we see these elements brought in and woven into the galaxy. Sometimes maybe it's the middle part of the journey. We don't get to see the entire journey. You mentioned like Mortis arc and stuff. Mm -hmm. That's a nice encapsulated, what, four episodes or so where we can Mm -hmm. see this play out more or less from start to finish. Yeah. I'm curious from from your perspective, and Luke Skywalker is the obvious answer. We could also mm-hmm. say, you know, because we we hear in The Force Awakens, we hear Obi-Wan and others' voices say that these are your first steps, mm-hmm. um, that we're also having echoes of this here, the crossing of the first threshold. Mm-hmm. But what other characters come to mind when you kind of look at this section of Campbell's work and where he's trying to describe the, the hero heading into this actual physical tangible world beyond their home or their village i mean it's it's everywhere i would say you know just as far as that introduction goes he he talked about there is a nuclear unit of and we talked a lot about uh, separation last week and then some initiation and then the third part which we haven't addressed a lot but the third part i think it's important to at least touch on because Crossing the threshold is a big rep- representation or beginning of that. The third part is a return. Mm. And usually it's a return with some sort of, as he called it, boon. And you can think about mythology like Prometheus bringing back fire. Mm. Um, they talked about in Buddhism how the Buddha came back with enlightenment um, and was going to teach that to, to people. Uh, and then um, just Moses going up on and getting the, the Ten Commandments or the, you know, the commandments of God. You're bringing something back, whether it be something that physically helps life better, like fire or crops sustaining, or you bring back some sort of new way of thinking. And so that with that in mind, I think Qui-Gon Jinn is a really good mm-hmm. example of this sort of stuff because he um, because this return is, is also labeled like rebirth or, or resurrection. So when you cross that threshold, it's, it's like you're going into death or it's represented by death a lot of times, because when you come back, you're a new, you're changed somehow. You're mm-hmm. a new uh, creature. So I think that's Qui-Gon literally died and then has come back with something that he had been studying as far as, and we, we, we hear a little bit about it in master and apprentice and we, we see it in the, in the, in the films. And so in, in the prequels, especially. So he has, he has gone and learned something. And, and as I mentioned earlier in the clone wars, there is an awesome arc where Yoda has to go. Mm. And one thing that Campbell talks about, I guess, kind of a distinction, because there was a, a story about King Minus and King Minus uh, had prayed to Poseidon, I believe for a, a white bull to sacrifice, but it was so beautiful when he got it that he could not bear to, He wanted to keep it for himself. So he bought one that wasn't as good and used that as a sacrifice. Okay, at that moment, he had he had taken a public trust and turned it into personal gain. Uh, and by doing that, now he's he separated himself. Instead of being a member of the community working together for the good of all, he's working for the good of himself. And once you start separating people into individuals instead of one unit, mm-hmm. as far as mythology goes, then that's where you have trouble. And so he ends that part of the book saying... Once you do that, you can only rule men by force. You're not mm-hmm. going to rule them because they follow you because you're a great king because you're you're doing your part. When you're selfish, you have to use force to do that. And it kind of reminds me of how the Sith would do things. You know, they're going to Palpatine. He's that, you know, he called in Joseph Campbell's work, he called it like the hold, hold fast monarch or dictator. And that's kind of how Palpatine does. He's using force. He uses war. He uses different things 
to make people do what he wants. Whereas the hero is somebody who doesn't do it by force. He, he instead of killing, like as Kyga, uh, Kylo Ren would say, kill something you don't understand. Mm-hmm. The hero has to die to his own personal needs and also to the way things have always been done. And by doing that, um, you, then you have, then you teach others. You don't force it on them. You teach. So uh, that's that, he had the example of the Buddha uh, had he when he gained enlightenment couldn't decide if it was going to be teachable to men mm. and almost didn't return that third part of that return after crossing the threshold and, and, and going through the, the trial. So to me, that's Qui-Gon Jinn did that too. He, he teach, but in, in, in Buddhism, the Buddha did come back and try to show people. He couldn't teach it exactly. He could only kind of show the way, point the way. And so mm. I think Qui-Gon is good in that. And, and then that arc on Clone Wars where Yoda has to go through all this, Qui-Gon couldn't just tell him how to do it. He had to show, okay, this is where you got to go. And then you're going to face some trials. And then if you succeed, you will you will have this knowledge too. So I think Qui-Gon Jinn is a great example of crossing that threshold and then fulfilling the rest of the, the hero's journey too. Well, and you really do a nice job of, of unpacking and getting to really the crux of Campbell's writings all comes down to the transformation and whether it's the physical transformation or it's a metaphysical transformation, a spiritual uh, transformation or mm-hmm. rebirth, as you mentioned. And I think that that is really the the part of the hero's journey that so many of us identify with not necessarily because we've been through that but because Mm -hmm. we long for that we thirst for that as as humans and another interesting part that you brought up right there is right there's part of campbell's work and this is much later in in his writing of Mm -hmm. this particular work but talks about the hero as emperor and and tyrant Mm -hmm. and it's fascinating because then we can look at so many of the characters within the star wars galaxy that we wouldn't necessarily put the label of hero on right and whether that would be because that that character we view as the antagonist or, you know, we've talked a lot on this podcast before about, well, you know, <laughs> from a certain point of view, uh, mm-hmm. Darth Vader is a hero. Yep. Um, Hux is a hero. Kylo Ren mm-hmm. is a hero to many people that buy into, you know, the <laughs> the philosophy or fear of the Empire mm-hmm. and the First Order. Carl, when it, when it comes to some of the other characters within star Wars. And again, like Mm -hmm. I mentioned at the top of the show, we don't always get to see the full arc of that hero's adventure, that hero's journey. But what are some of the characters in in your mind that might be easily overlooked when we look at this part and go, Oh, I'm seeing this character take their first step into a larger world, leaving Mm -hmm. this physical spot to go to this other physical spot. Not necessarily because it's the comfortable thing to do. Mm Mm-hmm. I think, um, you know, the easy ones usually tend to be Jedi, I think. Mm. And so I think, you know, another great example would be Rey herself and her story. I don't think we've gotten to the end of that to see, you know, her return or what she might bring. But I think she does a lot of of great things, too. But um, but you look in in the sequels and you look at um, you look at Finn. I mean, you look in the Mm. in the prequels, you look at Padme, who. I think wasn't served well. I think a lot of people look at her as a hero, but I don't think she was necessarily served well, especially by Revenge of the Sith. But right. uh, you know, she, Padme, for example, had to, and we've seen this in books and see more of it on the screen. Uh, had to figure out she didn't necessarily want to go into politics hmm. um, as far as a Senate. I mean, and, and not necessarily Queen. That was kind of manipulated by 
by uh, Palpatine. But then as she as she goes into the Senate, she has to learn her way of how to do things. Uh, and she she kind of dies to going along like a lot of senators might do. And you see her kind of being the voice of reason a lot of times, which I think is very heroic and something that's difficult to do, is to, when others are all going one way, and it seems like the right way to stand up and say, look, no, let's think about this. Are we really doing the right thing? So I think she mm-hmm. is a great example of that. And then just Finn himself, Finn having to, you know, he's been brainwashed, trained, uh, stolen from his parents, so it doesn't probably have much of a background of what the morals of whatever his culture or family might be. And, but on his own, just knowing something's right or wrong. And, and we've learned from from the rise of Skywalker that maybe from being in touch with the force, but just saying no. And he, he, he kind of died that day. He crossed that first threshold when he refused to Mm. fire his weapon on innocence. That's a crossing of the threshold for Finn. He's, he started it, that, that journey. He took a, he had a tough decision. Um, It's going to be trouble for him. Uh, he's died to the ways that he has been brought up and brainwashed to be, and he's started his own adventure. Mm. I, so, so on point. And I think that, you know, it's funny where I tend to default my thinking when I'm going through this book is I, I tend to think of it in terms of the characters that we get in Rogue One. And, and mm-hmm. maybe I need to be more like focused on the, on the Skywalker slash Palpatine trilogy or rather <laughs> saga, but it's it to me. I I am always looking for better ways to understand those characters that I love so much from Rogue right. One, and you know certainly we we see bits and pieces of this from Jyn Erso's story. Mm-hmm. We we also we we see I guess the, just a, a very encapsulated view of Cassian Andor, and this is where I really think we're going to be treated to something special when we have the Cassian Andor streaming series yeah. on Disney Plus. I really think we're going to get a chance to see his hero's journey unfold in ways we probably couldn't have imagined when we first sat down in the theater and watched him in rogue one. Oh yeah. I think it'll be. And one thing we haven't really talked about is this, this like the myth or the, th- or the things that we look at in mythology is tragic. And he mm-hmm. Campbell's kind of talking about the difference between, you know, fairy tales when you're in the nursery and everything has a happy ending. Yet when, when the myth or the hero's journey is supposed to teach us something about life mm. that, you know, we don't, for the most part, most of us, me, especially, we don't go on these grand adventures. We don't do uh, world changing things. We don't do, we don't do paradigm shifts for the whole human race. Mm. Uh, but when we see this in myth, then we, we go, well, if that, you know what, I can face this thing that I'm a little stressed about. But once I, once I go through it, uh, once I start it, I'll probably, I'll probably realize it's not that big a deal. Um, and so I forgot where I was going with that, but <laughs> um, what were you saying you were talking about before that? Well, just talking about how we could possibly see Cassian Andor's yeah. hero's journey really unfold. That's right. And and so I was thinking how that, I think he's going to be a very tragic figure since he's, if he's mm-hmm. going to be fighting it since the age of six, that's, that's going to be a sad story. And so right. the tragedy is something that we have to see, on screen or in the, or in our myths to buy into it, you know, to, to be able to put that lesson to ourselves because we every day see the, the negatives, the depressing uh, moments, the tragedies in life of everyday life. So mm. if, if everything was always happy, happy ever after in stories, then we, we don't apply those to our own lives like we can when we see that tragedy, which is, that's where I was going with that. So um, I think, I think we'll see a lot with Cassie and Andor, like you say, I'd also be interested just kind of, 
because tragedy is so important. I would like to just kind of a question that we can maybe explore later. For instance, let's take the latest, the you know, the rise of Skywalker. I think people are disappointed in a couple of things. Um, the death of Kylo being one uh, and Ray Palpatine being the other. And mm-hmm. so Kylo dying or Ben dying, <clears throat> that goes in hand in hand with tragedy. So, okay, maybe, maybe we don't like it, but that's part of this hero's journey. This is part of what myth does so that we buy into it. And then um, Ray Palpatine, one thing we'll figure on later in the cosmogonic cycle is that, you know, Sometimes when the hero taps into the power, the power was there all along because the hero is actually the, the king, the, the king's son or mm. the son of God or something like that. So that the power is really with them all along. And so I was on, I didn't carry the way about Ray Palpatine. I, I was not a big fan of Ray of Nowhere. I was kind of like, eh, I don't know about Ray Palpatine. But when I read that, I was kind of like, OK, now that makes more sense. She the power was there because of, you know, who she was. Uh, and so because that's part of the person who brings the boon is going to have this this power already because they are really of uh, of an important birth. So I, I kind of I kind of liked the Ray Palpatine more than I did before I read that part. I just was kind of wondering people who were really disappointed in those two things. Does it help them if we say, hey, you know what? It really fits in with the hero's journey. These these elements. Does that help them accept it, even though they don't like it personally? Or do we as Star Wars fans go, you know what, even though this is what Lucas faced, based a lot of his thought process on the storytelling, hey, we don't have to have it always be the hero's journey. Maybe sometimes we want something that we love to survive. So <laughs> I think that'd be an interesting question down the road. Oh, I think it's a great question to explore. And I mean, as we just take a quick rabbit trail, I, I think that you bring up an incredibly valid question, right? Like mm-hmm. how how close do we want to mirror the hero's journey, as Campbell explains it, when it comes to using air quotes here, our Star Wars. Right. And I think that does call into question whether it's the nostalgia button or just our, our head cannon or whatever else it is. <laughs> yeah. Right. Do, do we want to have something that makes sense as far as the Campbellian uh, theory of the hero's journey? Or do we want something that uh, we just want the story to work out where it's something that we personally have affinity for? I mean, I think that that's. That's at the crux of being a part of or a f- part of a, of a fandom of, of what, whatever, whether mm-hmm. it's Star Wars, the MCU or whatever it may be. I'm curious because kind of the next step of this as, as the, the hero crosses the first threshold, part of that is actually not just leaving the village, leaving the home, but it also has to do with actually being confronted or as Campbell puts it, blocked by this guardian figure mm-hmm. and it's not necessarily a figure as in a true tangible manifestation of a a person or beast or whatever it may be but it could just be a deceitful or, or dangerous presence as he puts mm-hmm. it which of course we would probably default to a, a trimmer in the force something like that where again do we see this carl where it's super obvious that's not necessarily tied to Luke Skywalker. When we see mm-hmm. that the, the journey has begun, we've crossed the first threshold. And as we do, so there's this presence, there's this guardian there that mm-hmm. is not just letting us go down the merry path uh, with our picnic basket, skipping down the yellow brick road. Yeah. Uh, I think Ray, I think all of them, Luke, Anakin, Ray, uh, I think all of them, and as you said, Anakin may or may people may not see him as a hero, but all three of those are great examples of you know the whole cycle is put together. Uh, Ray, you know, 
starts this journey be just to kind of be fleeing for her life because she just happened to to get hooked up with Finn and and now she's being chased because they're looking for Finn and and BB-8. So she has a moment where it's like Han invites her, okay, come with me and she's like, "No, I got to get back to Jakku." So so that presence in her life is the the not wanting to change, not wanting to die to the idea of that her family's coming back to her. So she's stuck in the past about what you know, I want to be where I'm, where my parents left me so they can always come find me because I know mm-hmm. they're going to come back and find me. So she's right. kind of in prison by that fast, and that's blocking her from really going across that threshold full force. Yeah, and I think that that's part of it. The, the entire premise of this is to really draw out the hero's determination to to move forward, right? I mean, mm-hmm. I, I distinctly remember I was probably, oh, I don't know, third grade-ish, somewhere in mm-hmm. there. And I distinctly remember, despite not remembering the exact age it was, I distinctly remember the event of going to the community pool during summertime and walking up the ladder to the high oh, dive, yeah. which mm-hmm. I had never actually jumped off the high dive before. And you know what? I, I stood up there. I had friends uh, both in the pool and on the the patio cheering for me, encouraging mm-hmm. me. And I took the walk of shame down the same <laughs> you know? Yeah. And, and it wasn't until years later where, you know what? It, it was the determination to move forward. In fact, you'd have to fast forward actually to high school, believe it or not. And until I was uh, of enough courage to actually go up the ladder and jump off. And why? Uh, well, one probably had to do with because I was a little bit older, but two is because there there was a, a summer camp competition going on and I mm-hmm. wasn't about to let my team down. So for me, that that determination to move forward was tied directly to overcoming that that quote unquote dangerous presence that I had felt when I was in third grade or whatever grade I was in earlier. Yeah. And we've all we've all been there um, a little bit before the crossing the threshold, though, is we we there was the. There's something I read also that helped me, I guess, with Star Wars. And I guess I'll just ask you this question. Mm-hmm. Do you ever, because I just kind of thought about it when I talked about, you know, hey, they ha- Ray happened to fall into this adventure. Yeah. And you can say that with Anakin kind of happened to fall. Into me. Like, do you ever feel like at some point, do you ever push against so or your mind kind of start not disbelieving anymore and, and saying, you know what, that's just too coincidental. That's too much of a coincidence. Do you, mm-hmm. Are there times in Star Wars where that happens to you? Oh, you kind of cut out. Okay. What was the last thing yeah. you heard? Uh, the last thing I heard was, does that ever happen to you? And then you were explaining. Okay. Yeah. All right. Um, so have you ever just felt like some things in Star Wars are too coincidental as far as the hero getting going on the journey? You mean as far as it's setting up to kind of purposely move the hero along? Uh, yeah. Or just, you know, I'll just give you an example. So like, yeah, we understand Luke. Uh, we understand why Luke get, get, got caught up in this because because Leia's coming to get Obi Wan for help, and Obi Wan's watching Luke. So that's not necessarily so coincidental. But the fact that R two D two lands and the Jawas, and then he happens mm-hmm. to get it, you know, Luke not his, you know, uh, he's not even buying R two D two to start with. There's a a malfunction, bad motivator. R two D two now gets in there, so Luke gets pulled into this, not necessarily in a way that seems to go, okay, yeah, it makes a lot of sense. It's like, wow, that's really coincidental that the plans fell right in his, in Luke's lap of all the people yeah. on uh, Tatooine. And you could do that with other 
uh, people in Star Wars too. Do you does, does that coincidence ever make you stop? And go, huh? Oh, that seems a little too coincidental. So obviously the the easy answer and and maybe even the correct answer is <laughs> well you know it's the will of the force right mm-hmm. um but but beyond that there's definitely times and it's interesting that you bring up R two because mm-hmm. I think that that's the character that I probably think of most yeah. because look what happens when Padme's ship has has left Naboo and we we've, we've got yeah. the little robots <laughs> and astromech droid after astromech droid is being destroyed on the outside but R two yeah. goes out and saves the day again mm-hmm. um. So I think that there are definitely times within all of the Star Wars galaxy where that happens. I'm just like, um, okay, sure. I mean, you know, how how many different parts or junkyards were there on Tatooine, but he just happened to walk into the one right. that Anakin, Anakin. worked yeah. worked in, right? Mm. So, the one the one person that was prophesied by the Jedi, that Jedi <laughs> happened to get stuck there. Yeah. exactly exactly what what happens if the the people across the street had a better deal you know i (laughs) I actually had it yeah (laughs) public credits credits. (laughs) well and the reason i asked that is because you know in the story of of the buddha you know campbell goes into the fact that so i brought i bring this up to say when you asked me last week uh if if aunt Maru is still alive and doesn't die does Luke go on the adventure? And I said, no, I think he'd feel obligated to do it. Well, mm-hmm. to stay with her. Right. And, you know, the Cambalian thing was, you know, the Buddha was originally a prince and the prince's father had heard a prophecy that he's either going to go into the, uh, you know, the life of enlightenment or he's going to stay in royalty. And so he was, he did everything he could to keep him in royalty by not letting him see uh, anybody that's old, anybody that was sick, anybody that was dead and anybody that lived like a, an austere life, like a monk or somebody. Mm-hmm. And so um, he had so much given so much lavish stuff that he actually got tired of all the lavishness of his life. And at that moment, that's when uh, the gods or whoever decided to say, okay, we're going to show him examples of these things that he's been deprived of. And th- we're going to steer him into that. He was ready for it because he had grown tired of how opulent his life had been. Mm-hmm. And so I kind of say, and then that's what Campbell's point in, in, in the hero's journey is that when the hero is ready, then the uh, fate, destiny, the forces at work, whatever you want to call it, they make it happen. They 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 wait till the hero's ready. But when the hero's ready, they push things in that direction to push the hero along. So that kind of made me all those things that seem very coincidental in Star Wars. I'm like, well, that's just part of how myths and and the hero's journey works. And so I, I don't. I guess I accept a little more just again because it's very common in all kinds of storytelling. Totally. And you know, it's interesting to think on that because it's <laughs> it'd be very easy to to be a, a strict Campbellian mm-hmm. and, and say, well, we can use what Campbell says within this book or even the, his, um, the power of myth interview with, um, was it, um, I, I was going to say Bill Hybels, but it's not Bill. Yeah. <laughs> I forgot to, it wasn't Charlie the Warriors. Warriors. <laughs> yeah. Or we could even look at, at Campbell's uh, interview with Bill Moyers, the power of myth. Mm-hmm. And, and it'd be very easy to, to, quite frankly, take exactly what Campbell says and probably retcon most of Star Wars when it comes to the hero's journey, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And say, uh, oh, yeah. Well, yeah, Campbellian. It's Campbellian. <laughs> it's all Campbellian. It's all so, Campbellian. Yeah. And at the, at the same time, though, I, I think that that's it reminds me of an ancient proverb that goes something along the lines of when the student is ready, the teacher or the master will appear. And I think mm-hmm. that that's 
very much in line with what you just mentioned, right? When, right. when the hero is ready mm -hmm. to go on that journey, then whether it's the force or destiny or, or whatever we want to label it as, then those things come together and the journey begins. Right. You know, yeah. one of the things that, that Campbell talks about, he, I'm reading, here's his quote, the adventure is always and everywhere a passage beyond the veil of the known into the unknown. The powers mm -hmm. that watch at the boundary are dangerous, which we just talked about the Guardian. Mm -hmm. To deal with them is risky. And here's where it kind of comes down. Yet for anyone with competence and courage, the danger fades. Mm-hmm. And, you know, one of the things that I love from that is we we really get to see this in a variety of spaces within Star Wars canon. And one of the first that popped out to me that I just love the arc of this character, and that is Kanan from Star Wars Rebels. Yeah. We really get a chance to see this uh, as he's learning to become a Jedi or a, a more wise Jedi and pass on the learnings to Ezra. I, I think that that's one of the things we see, especially when he's in the the temple and we see mm -hmm. that the danger literally fades away as his understanding grows. Yeah, that's I love that. I love love Kanan and I love the point you made there. What are some of the other characters, I guess, Carl, or, mm -hmm. or situations that really involve that we where you we can as whether the viewer or the reader really see, oh, that 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 person, that character, that hero, we we now have witnessed what was once scary or frightening or dangerous is no longer frightening, scary or dangerous to that person. Are there some other instances that you can think of? Hmm. It's, um, I keep falling back to Luke and Ray and, and Anakin. I'm trying to see if I can, uh, think of somebody else. I mean, you know, we can flip the side. Another person that I've, you know, the story I've enjoyed is, is Darth Bane as we've talked mm -hmm. about on the show before. And yeah. he's, He's he's a bad guy. He's Sith. He's evil. Um, and as your point was earlier, and Campbell talked about this, and can we in that introduction too about how men put say some things are good and some things are bad, but God or who you know whatever's pushing gods or whatever's pushing the the action fate, um, they see everything. They they everything comes from that one source, and so everything is is acceptable. So. Mm -hmm. um, which makes me kind of question sometimes we as Star Wars fans, I think we always, because of our sense of morality and the culture we live in, we look at the stories and we think, well, it, it, it's only, you know, the force is pushing for the Sith to fail and the force mm -hmm. is pushing for the light side, the Jedi to succeed where I don't think that's what the force is really doing. That's why the Bindu, and I know that's a character you liked. It's such an interesting character too, that, yeah. um, you know, the force in Star Wars is, a, is, 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 is looking for balance. So it's not saying that this is good and bad should go away. It's, it's looking for balance. It's it, that things should, I guess, be equal across the spheres like that. So, so Darth Bane had to, uh, there was a point where he had, he had gotten very powerful in the force um, and killed somebody with just the force. And mm -hmm. he became, he was a student in an Academy at that point, And he was, I mean, he became the big man on campus. Everybody was scared of him except for the top student who was kind of like, okay, you got my attention now. I was ignoring yeah. you, but you got my attention. But slowly his use of the force was diminishing because mm. he could not 
he could not accept what he had done. You know, he, he, he was, he was kind of limited by, okay, I, I've done something that is wrong and, and, and there should be, I guess he, he felt guilt of it, I guess is the best way to say it. He, he, he felt this guilt. And at some point, as far as being a Sith hero, I would say you have to push past all that and say, you know, only the strong survive and the strongest are going to be the ones to do it. And he finally did when, when it kind of, when his life depended on it and then he didn't mm-hmm. look back any further. So, um, that's an interesting story. It's not necessarily what we think of as a hero, but he had to, he had to do the same thing as far as pushing through and saying, "Yeah, I, I'm gonna, I'm really in this all the way." Absolutely, that's a great example. I love that because that is that, that's on the the outskirts of a lot of people's understanding of Star Wars characters. Mm-hmm. I don't think as many people have have read that book versus you know seen the original trilogy and things like mm-hmm. that. So I love that example. I think. You know, a couple of obvious choices, and you touched on Luke and Ray earlier, but the cave scenes with both Luke oh, yeah. in Empire and mm-hmm. Ray in The Last Jedi, where we have this experience where they're coming face to face with whatever it is that they are personally fearing or is acting as that that presence that's in their way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's um, and that really kind of is a good example of when we get into the next part that is in the book as far as the belly of the whale. I mean, those are, to me, those were really good examples of the belly of the whale, um, mm. that, and, and even, uh, the, um, the trash compactor on, on the death star. There's always, I mean, mm. I think there's a ton of these belly of the whale, uh, images and that's, that's part of crossing that threshold or it's one way of doing it. It's like, and, and it is a sense of dying. You've got to go in there and die to, again, that's just kind of, it's a, it's a death to resurrection to, to new way of looking at things. And that's, that's what they do, especially in those moments. Cause you know, Luke was a little cocky and, and Ray was just looking for an answer that she had always wanted. And, and both came out a little disappointed in what they had seen, but had to adjust their way of going forward because of it. Yeah, absolutely. And so let's go ahead and kind of pivot a little bit and, and talk about that. So, those of you that that may be listening and are unfamiliar with the the phrase belly of the whale here here's basically what it comes down to is it's when the hero um is is swallowed whether that's symbolically or or literally <laughs> and and they're in quote unquote the belly of the beast and the hero uh, again achieves depths of courage persistence and eventually fights his or her way out and emerges stronger uh, maybe in the physical sense, but most certainly in kind of the, the metaphysical sense. And, you know, you brought up a couple examples, Carl, and I think mm-hmm. we could even, depending on how far we want to take this, we can even look at when, you know, the giant asteroid worm swallows the Millennium yeah. Falcon. I mean, that's <laughs> yeah. definitely in the belly of the beast yeah. in, in a very real sense. Mm-hmm. Why do you think that this is such an important part of the journey, though? Let me ask that. Well, it's, it's again... That, that three phase, you know, you ha- you have separation. So you uh, you are really, I mean, when you go into the belly of the well, you are separated from the earth that you know, the, the, the environment you're used to, air, you know, all kinds of things. So you are literally separated. Uh, there's a trial there because it's like, okay, I can't, or maybe you can if you're Pinocchio or somebody, but you can't live in that belly of that well forever. You've got to do something to get out of that well mm. and in getting out, then that's that resurrection, that return. So it, it really is just a pivotal point of that switch from the first step to the last step mm. doing the whole cycle. And 
I think that that's why it's so important is that you, it's like I said, it's very clearly like a, a that symbol of dying, of kind of going into a tomb and what you learn there, what you have to do there propels you into thinking differently or having something new and then therefore being able to, to take that on to other people. I think, you know, I think the trench run in a new hope is a good example too, is, you know, they're going down into, it's a, it's a lot of things all at once. I mean, Luke is crossing the threshold because really the biggest thing in that, that he does, I mean, yes, he goes on the adventure, but you know, what he does that really changes everything is rely on the force. Mm. You know, before that moment in the trench, it was like, yeah, I'm a good shot. I can bullseye womp rats. I'm not, you know, I'm not such a bad pilot. Me, 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 uh, uh-huh. using the targeting computer, he gets down in there and hears, you know, Obi-Wan's voice, you know, use the force, turns off the targeted computer, trusts in the force. And that has opened up his new way of thinking of, I'm going to rely on the force, which is ultimately what propels him into being able to defeat the emperor, uh, touch, you know, having feelings for, with his father, having this, this back and forth of, of thoughts that can only be, be transmitted through the force. So, I think that's another good example of that. And that's why it's important. You've got to go there before you can be reborn or return. I think that's such a great point. And I, I have to say this, and we'll, we'll, we'll break here for a second. <laughs> whenever, whenever I watch that scene and Luke turns yeah. off his targeting computer, I, yeah. I make up the most fantastic dialogue of the people back in Yavin when they flash back <laughs> at him really quick. Just like, yeah. are, are, is this for real? What's he doing? We had, we had, we only had so many X-Wings. There's one guy that could have, this is our last shot. The entire galaxy in this kid is turning off the targeting computer. Fake Wedge is still sitting in the, in the ready room. We could have put him in there. (laughs) It's it's such a moment like, and maybe uh, some of our older listeners have have seen this film, but uh, there was another film that came out about a year after Star Wars called airplane and mm. uh he, he trips over the cord that's quote-unquote plugging in the runway lights and uh <laughs> it's just kind of this total Whoops. misfire of yeah <laughs> <laughs> whoopsie that's um well let, let's come back to, to campbell i know we're getting close <laughs> to kind of landing the shuttle on this particular uh, chapter is there something that stood out to you more than anything else this chapter as we start to get deeper and deeper into campbell's writing um this chapter, I mean, I just think that knowing what the ultimate goal is for the hero to to be totally transformed, that you have to go through that first step. I think that's what really stood out. Um, you know, earlier he had talked about needing to, um, but to be the hero, you have to. How did he put it? Let me see if I can find it in my notes. Um, that you have to. Okay, the hero is a man of self-achieved submission. Now that that statement is kind of weird. You know, mm. most of the time we think of submission as something that's imposed. Like we don't submit ourselves as a general rule. Somebody has to sort of force right. us into submission. Um, and then submission to what? So there has to be schism. He talks about schisms in the soul or schisms in the body, social. You know, these things have to be resolved, but you can't go. He points out that you can't like if there's a problem going on, say, in society and we had this problem 100 years ago and then this hero came along and solved it by doing X. You you can't the hero today cannot just go back and say, well, we're going to do X again because mm. it's 
it, it just doesn't work because something has to die before so before there to be birth, something has to die. So the old way of doing things has to have died. So I think that's why this crossing the threshold and belly of the well is so important. We have to get to a point where, okay, we have died to something. Only birth can conquer death, he says. And so not and then not the old thing again, but something new. And so mm. when he goes through all that, it's it was kind of interesting. He talks about he uses the phrases like um if you're in this if you're in this type of situation, then there's all these snares that can sort of keep you trapped in doing things the old way. And he says peace is a snare. Well, that doesn't sound right. I mean, peace is what mm. the goal is, but peace could be a snare. And you think about the Jedi. Everything was peaceful. They haven't really had problems with the Sith for hundreds of years or, you know, a long time at least. And so they were lulled into this peace. And then they started doing things maybe that, you know, they like, for instance, a, a lot of things that people point out, say Master and Apprentice, Qui-Gon has the thought that, um, you know, we have isolated ourselves on Coruscant and, you know, Obi-Wan here doesn't realize what people who live on, uh, these lesser rich planets, maybe who farm or do whatever. He doesn't know how those people live. We have isolated ourselves from the real people of the universe. And so we don't really know what's going on. So things like that could be a snare, but he also says, Campbell also says war is a snare. So mm. the status quo is, you know, those things are opposite. How can opposite things both be a snare? And it's just kind of like when you keep doing things like maybe war was needed to conquer somebody at some point, but if you're always doing war, then, then that's kind of trapped you into doing things and you're and you're not being heroic anymore. You're uh, kind of keeping the status quo, and there's maybe no purpose to the things you're doing. So, and he says, change is a snare, and permanence is a snare. So, you know, all those things kind of made me, you know, think about how again the Jedi were taking babies at, at young ages. They didn't want to have right. people have emotional attachments. They had all these right. rules, and they were kind of you know lead them down the wrong the wrong way. So. To be able to do that, though, to change those things, you have got to, again, die to that way of doing things. And so all that together really made me really enjoy or understand. Because when I first listened to The Belly of the Well and those, those sort of parts, I'm like, well, what's really going on? Why are we? OK, they went down in the belly of the well. I know I've heard the story of Jonah. You know, you, you compare that to, to Christ in the tomb three days. There's lots of mm. things that we hear um, heroes doing what is the purpose? And the purpose is you've got that as representing the death, that, that initial step of we're not going to do things the way they were done. Even if the way we used to do it was successful, we've got to have something new to, to, to birth, you know, lively, you know, liveliness into the world as we know it. Well, here, here. And I think that that is another interesting part where once again, we can take what Campbell writes about, or we can take what we see on screen or read in, a Star Wars novel and go, oh, well, how can I apply that to my own life when it comes to, you know, coping strategies or mm -hmm. escapism or whatever else? I think that that in particular is something that is so relevant to us in the quote unquote real world, right? When mm -hmm. it might be time, might be time to try things a different way. And that could come down to 101 things, whether it's exercising and eating habits or <laughs> yeah. with, with uh, you know, spending habits or, or whatever else the case may be, just because it's worked up until that point doesn't necessarily mm -hmm. mean that we should continue to, to carry it, it forward. So I, I love the fact that we're kind of wrapping up this episode with a very practical real world insight. So thank you for that. Oh, no problem. Thank you.
Hey, we'll be back to wrap things up right after this. Stick around. We're not done yet. What did you say? As long as everybody behaves, this will be quick and painless. Well, hey, welcome back. And as we get ready to wrap things up, we hope you're enjoying this exploration of Joseph Campbell's work, The Hero with a thousand faces and if you haven't already purchased the book or the audiobook by all means go out there you can find it at amazon or barnesandnoble.com you of course can probably find it out in, in pdf form from a number of sources on the dark web and follow along with us because we'd love to know your insights no doubt that you guys have insights into this and we'd love to hear them so feel free to do that and let us know you can always hit us up at that wretched huh you can always hit us up at that wretched hive of scum and villainy known as the twitter at unmistakably sw or of course you can email us at unmistakably star wars at gmail.com as we wrap things up we of course want to give a shout out to our patrons and we're talking about you david anderson brandon boylan jim capron derek DeVernay, dave hackerson michelle grandine chris letty steve long neil lowry kyle russell regina sanders connie she aaron sinner skip skipton christus malinsky franklin taylor rick villanueva michael ward and the always fabulous Amy Wishman. Thank you, thank you, thank you, patrons. We absolutely appreciate your generosity. The circle is now complete, my little tauntauns. That's all for this time. We'll see you next time in the Digital Docking Bay. And until then, may the force be with you. Unmistakably Star Wars is a member of the Star Wars Escape Pods Network. Explore more great content and get to know our sister shows at WeAreEscapePods.com and on Twitter at WeAreEscapePods, the Star Wars Escape Pods Network, promoting positivity in fandom. This podcast is a production of Be Heard Studios. To learn more about Be Heard Studios and its shows, as well as opportunities for those looking to begin a podcast, visit us online at BeHeardStudios.com. Be Heard Studios, creators of diverse listening experiences.
Unmistakably Star Wars is a member of the Star Wars Escape Pods Network. Explore more great content and get to know our sister shows at WeAreEscapePods.com and on Twitter at WeAreEscapePods. The Star Wars Escape Pods Network, promoting positivity in fandom. This podcast is a production of Be Heard Studios. To learn more about Be Heard Studios and its shows, as well as opportunities for those looking to begin a podcast, visit us online at BeHeardStudios.com. Be Heard Studios, creators of diverse listening experiences.